I'd invite you this afternoon to turn back in your Bibles to that passage of Scripture that we were considering this morning, Matthew chapter 5. Here again we come to this seventh beatitude of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 9 where He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And this morning I said that we were going to, at least at the very beginning of this study, approach it under these two broad heads, the significance, which we looked at this morning, uh, of what he's saying here, and then the scope of what he's saying. And we're still considering this afternoon the scope of our Lord's words here and what exactly he means when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And we noted that he is first, the peacemaker is first a man who has himself been made to be at peace with God, having seen the great enmity that exists between God and man and how the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the chief peacemaker who comes into the world So that through his shed blood and through his broken body, man himself might be reconciled to God. And then once that man is reconciled to God, then he's made to be a peacemaker. And that's what we're we're talking about. And we're going to continue to go through this in some measure this afternoon. So as we come back to it, the second aspect of this scope of being a peacemaker is this, that the peacemaker, having been reconciled to God and made to know peace with God, as well as the peace of God. And when I say that, what I mean is that not only is there a reconciliation between God and man in salvation, but then there is this coming of the peace and the calmness uh, and the rest into the heart of man, so that not only is there peace with God, but there's peace of God. And that man, having this peace with God and having the peace of God, is now not only a recipient, but he's also made to be a lover of that peace. And a, what I'm calling a conservator of it. Let me try to explain to you what I mean. Having tasted the fruits of this great reconciliation through the blood of Christ and knowing, really knowing the great lengths to which our Lord went to secure this imparted peace, this man now becomes a man who is earnest to jealously guard that which he has so graciously received. He's been given peace by God. And he does not want in any way to compromise that peace that he has with God. It's precious to him. And therefore he labors to maintain it. And he labors to keep it first in himself. And to not upset the peace that he has with God. Spurgeon said this, peace has been called a pearl. And rightly so, says Spurgeon, for it's precious and smiles with soft, mild radiance bedecking the heart that wears it. It is indeed a pearl of great price and he that has it has more than riches. And having come to see just how extraordinarily priceless this gift of peace that he has with God is, 
he recognizes this is not something that I can comfortably afford to ever live without again in my life. And if ever it's disturbed in any way, his soul is restless until at last he's made to taste of it and to rest comfortably in the presence of Christ's peace again. I couldn't help but think because in recent days I've been reading it, but there in the Song of Solomon, we get a picture of what I mean by this. In Song of Solomon, in the third chapter, we read this. By night on my bed, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. And not finding him, what's the response of this Shulamite? She says in verse 2, I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek the one I love I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, have you seen the one I love? Scarcely I had passed by, by them when I found the one I love. And I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him to the house of my mother and into the chamber of her who conceived me. Well, that's what I mean by this peacemaker this one who had, has been introduced to the peace of God and reconciled with God, so loving it that he becomes or she becomes a conservator of it. And if ever Christ in all his peace were to hide himself from their hearts, it causes this great restlessness. And they go about seeking him until once again they found him in his peace. It's a fixed principle, this peace. And it becomes a driving force within the house of the soul. The God of peace, the Prince of peace, the Spirit of peace, through the salvation that comes by the Lord Jesus Christ, they make their abode in this Salem of the heart, this place of peace. And so I say... When we think about the peacemaker, the peacemaker is one who labors to always continue in the peace that he or she has received from their God. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul actually gives a command. He says to them there in verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That's what I'm talking about. The peacemaker is one who labors, maybe we could put it in this way, a positive and a negative. He labors on the one hand to ensure that he's always, he, he, it's always this peace, an abiding and a present and a preeminently governing force within him through the constant sight of his God. That's what the word means. When Paul commands us, let the peace of God rule. That word rule means let it be a governing power in your hearts. And that's what this peacemaker does. 
Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. And therefore, this peacemaker, this conservator of peace, his faith keeps always a constant watch upon this peace. Negatively, you could say it this way. This, this is the one who labors to keep this peace from ever being disturbed. Endeavoring to never be displeasing toward his king. Never. Always exercising himself, as Paul says in Acts, 20, Acts 24 and verse 16, to have and to maintain a conscience without offense toward God and men. What does that mean? There are many, many things that threaten our peace with God. The peace that we have within our own souls of God. The knowledge and the experience of that. There are many, many things that threaten the peace that we have between man and man. And therefore this conservator of peace, this lover of the peace of God that has come to him, fights against things like pride. He fights against things like self-love. He fights against things like envy. He fights against things like impatience and anger. Why? Because they disrupt peace. That's what it means to let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Not only that the eyes of faith would always be placed upon Him, that I might have a sight of Him because in Him He is my peace, but also that there would be nothing happening in my life that I would ever do to upset this wonderful relationship of reconciliation that I have with my God. Those wretched disruptors of peace between God and between man are the things that we, the peacemaker, takes up arms against and fights against. And he keeps short accounts, confessing and repenting and returning that he might always walk in the light as God is in the light and that he might have fellowship not only with his brethren, but that he might continue to have that blessed fellowship with his God. Thus, the peacemaker is a peace conservator to his own soul, keeping Christ in, keeping sin out, without which I would say he cannot be anything else that is meant here by Christ's words when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. William Burkett said this, peace of conscience produces peaceableness of conversation and life. And if peace of conscience is robbed, then there is no peaceableness of conversation and life. Where the, where the storms rage within the heart, it manifests itself outwardly in the way that we conduct ourselves with one another. And so the reason that I 
state that before we go on to anything else is because without our guarding this, without our protecting it, without our loving it, without our conserving it, without our endeavoring with all of our strength and all of our might to preserve it, anything else I have to say about being a peacemaker, it doesn't matter. Therefore, this peacemaker labors to continue in it. Secondly, with that in mind, let's move, I think, to, I think I'm, I'm happy there, <laughs> to move to the third aspect of what it means to be a peacemaker. And that is that this man, this peacemaker, is a promoter of peace. He's a promoter of peace. And here, when I say this, that he's a promoter of peace, I think we draw nearer to what our Lord means with respect to blessed are the peacemakers and the outward effects of that peacemaking, those peacemaking endeavors. He's a, he's a pursuer of peace. He's a pursuer of peace. And he's serious about this. He's serious about it because it's in keeping with the reconciliation that he's received. And he's jealous to preserve it. If God has so pursued me, then ought I not also to be one whose heart and whose mind is fixed, not only on preserving peace within my own soul, but preserving peace with those around me. This man, having been made to know the peace of God, then sets himself to the advancement of this peace of God that he's come to know. Now, there are several threads within this tapestry of the peacemaker and this one who promotes it that must be considered. And we are not. There is no way in the time that we have today that we are going to consider all of them. So I, I, I'm going to give you some of them. And then, brethren, we're just going to have to leave it where it is and come back to it, okay? But what does it mean to be a peacemaker, a peace promoter? First, I would say this. He's one who labors to make peace between God and man. The peacemaker understands with a, a clarity that no one else in all the world around him understands. The indictment of God upon the hearts of men that we considered this morning. And this peacemaker knows that these men and women and children all around him or her are in a most miserable and a most pitiable condition. And he knows and he is convinced that if there is to be any peace at all, it will only come by the power of the gospel. That same power that came to his own soul and rescued him. And all other efforts will ultimately prove to miscarry and to be unprofitable. They who themselves have found out the blessedness of this peace with God and have been reconciled to God ought to be very desirous to make peace between other men and God too. The peacemaker finding the sweetness of this peace of God within his or her own heart 
Their earnest desires are that they could bring, oh, that they could bring others to be at peace with Him. They're compelled, they're constrained by the love of Christ. And therefore, the peacemaker is an ambassador for Christ. That's exactly what happened to Paul. Listen to his own account, his own words, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now all things are of God, verse 18, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God, marvel of marvels, were pleading through us. We implore you, Paul says, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's a fascinating thing. That man, having been rescued from all of his enmity and brought into a right relationship of peace with God, would then be taken up by God and used as the very mouthpiece of God to bring reconciliation to the world around him. Now, to be sure, we're not called to be apostles as Paul was. But make no, no mistake about it. We are called to be peacemakers. And the gospel is the singular path to that end. Take, for instance, the husband or the wife who's had the work of God come with power in purifying their heart by faith. Take that individual. And because of this, they, they have found the sweetness of this peace with God in their own souls. That husband, that wife cannot lay down next to their spouse night by night or wake up and live life with their spouse day by day. They cannot do that with any rest whatsoever until they see their spouse reconciled also. They long for this. And they say, oh, that I, Lord, me, that I could be the means to make peace between my husband or my wife's soul and you. Or take, for instance, a parent longing for their child. Or a child longing for their parent. They would do anything in the world, any way, with prayers and supplications and tears and weeping and walking convincingly, convincingly before them to bring the heart of their child, to bring the heart of their loved one to God, that there might be the peace of sins forgiven and a heart united to Christ in the bonds of love. You know that. And so it is with any that they may find around them. They're no longer, the peacemaker is no longer content to look upon men only with respect to the flesh, only outwardly. 
If, if you go out of these doors and the only view that you have of any individual in this world around you is what you see of them outwardly, you're missing it. The Christian knows something that the rest of the world doesn't know. He knows that every person right beside them, perhaps some sleeping in their own home, have never dying souls. And they know now that that soul is answerable to God. I tell you the truth in Christ, says Paul. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and a continual grief in my heart. For I could wish, he says, I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. That's the heart of a peacemaker. That's the heart of a peacemaker. And certainly, says one of the old writers, those that ever knew what the peace of God meant will endeavor what possibly they can to make peace between their relations, their neighbors, their friends, their enemies, between their souls and God. And by telling them about the condition of their souls and by weeping and by praying, and it will forever be a great grievance to them to see any man remain at enmity with God when such a great salvation has been provided. And therefore, this peacemaker seeks to promote peace in this way. There was a time, he says, that I went on in a wretched way. I know this. I was an enemy to God. There was nothing in my heart but enmity against God. I militated against Him. I militated against everything and I militated against everyone around me. I militated even against my own self. And oh, I would not for 10,000 worlds be one hour in that condition ever again for fear that I should die an enemy of God. And oh, He looks in the face of that never dying soul that you would consider your ways that the way that you are in is a way of enmity against the blessed and the eternal God. And that peacemaker looks at them and he says, Oh, consider, consider, consider what God has revealed in His Word concerning this glorious work of reconciliation of sinners to Himself. It's the longing of the heart of the peacemaker. And blessed is the man that labors to make peace in this way. Jeremiah Burroughs said, O blessed, O blessed, that ever you were born to be an instrument of so great a good. If it be but to bring in one soul, one soul to be at peace with God, so that God has one less enemy in the world, through your means and your endeavors. That's the blessed man. Not the great man. Not the man with money who amasses great material wealth. 
Not the person who's able to retire on a beach somewhere. Not the young man or the young woman that never marries as I've seen in recent days so that they can lavish upon themselves whatever they like without any responsibility whatsoever. Not the man. Not the man. This is not the blessed man who wastes endless hours of his life staring at a box in the corner of his room. God help us. What is any of that compared to never dying souls? God help us. We waste so much time. The peacemaker knows the peace of God and he wants and he labors that other men should know the peace of God. Not only this, but the peacemaker is one who I would say, promotes the peace of God within the hearts of others. And I think, brethren, this is so vital for us. When Paul commands, let the peace of God rule in our hearts, it's a communal duty. It's spoken to the church. It's a command given to the people of God for the sake of the body. Listen again to what he says. Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body. One body. And it's interesting to me in that context in Colossians chapter 3 that what follows is this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing, instructing and warning one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. He says much the same thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. We're told in Psalm 85, 8 that the Lord speaks peace unto His people and to His saints. And the peacemaker is the one who joins Him in being a counselor of that peace. We're told to exhort one another daily while it's called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The peacemaker... This is so vital. The peacemaker knows that along the pilgrim way there are many dangers that threaten to disrupt the peace of the pilgrim heart. And we must beware lest there be found in any single one of us an evil heart of unbelief that would soon depart from the living God and the good peace of our Savior. And therefore, knowing this, knowing the peril, knowing the danger, knowing the temptations, knowing how easily the heart is deceived, how easily the heart is drawn away to other things, the peacemaker exhorts, the peacemaker encourages, the peacemaker stirs one another up to love and good works and perseverance in the faith. 
It's a sorrow to the peacemaker to ever see any brother or any sister in Christ downcast or anxious about anything. And therefore, they speak with one another about the things of God. They speak with one another about the promises of God, about the greatness of God, about the power of God, about the end intended by the Lord, about the need to hold on and to hold out and to be patient, about the need for confession, about the need for repentance. And they seek to bring the heart of the wanderer back to its peaceable rest. Brethren, if any of you wonders from the truth, and someone turns him back, back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way saves his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Never forget that. But deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And the peacemaker is a friend. He's a friend to his brother. He's a friend to his sister, her sister. And he's willing to speak if it means the restoration of peace in the heart of one of its members. The peacemaker knows a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in baskets of silver. He sees the downcast. He sees the weary. He sees the discouraged Friend whose heart is tossed about like a turbulent sea. And the peacemaker approaches with the healing words of a loving Savior. And those words are to to that weary one as succulent fruit to strengthen the feeble knees and calm the troubled heart. We do this. We, We ought to do this. We do this by urging others to put their eyes on the Lord. We we do this by encouraging them to commit their burdens to Him in prayer. We do this by speaking words of encouragement that will lift their spirits. We do this by praying for them. We do this by speaking to them of God's sovereignty over their trials, that all things indeed are working together for their good by reminding them of God's presence in their lives, that He will never leave them, that He will never forsake them. Never, no, never, no, never, no, never, dear saint. We do this by pointing them to the one who's the author and the finisher of their faith, reminding them That they have a great high priest who is made like unto his brethren and being himself tempted is able to aid those who are tempted. We point them back to him. Oh brother, oh sister, lean on Christ your Savior. He alone gives you peace. He guards your heart. We share their burdens. Walking with them in their trial. Ministering to them in their practical needs. That's the burden of those who pursue peace. That the peace of God in the hearts and in the lives of their brethren would be safeguarded, promoted, and flourishing. The peacemaker has a great interest, a great interest, in the promotion of peace in the body of Christ. And he knows 
He knows that this begins with the well-being and the spiritual health of not only himself, but every one of those around him. How can you have peace? How can you have the peace of God ruling in your heart and have no heart concern for those for whom Christ our Lord suffered and bled and is brought into his fold? How? God spare us from that. Their peace is your peace. Do you know that? You are one body. You are called into one body. And if one of your members is broken, if one of your members is hurting, if one of your members is straying, their peace is your peace. Their spiritual welfare is your spiritual welfare. You share in the peace of Christ. And I'll close with this. God forbid. God forbid, brethren, that we should ever let one for whom Christ has purchased peace be swallowed up in a sea of discouragement and never speak the words of peace to his soul. Never come and pour into his wounds the healing balm of the truth. We're to weep with those who weep. We're to pray for one another that you may be healed. That's only scratching the surface of the scope. There's so much more that can and needs to be said. God help us to do these two things, three things. Guard our own hearts. Promote the peace of God to the lost and dying around us and promote and guard jealously our peace among ourselves. God, we do pray. Lord, we ask that you would search our hearts this afternoon. We pray that you would try us. We pray that you would know the anxieties that are within us. We pray, our God, that you would see and know whether there be any wicked way in us in departing from the living God. And Lord, we, we pray that you would keep us and cleanse us from our secret faults. We pray, Lord, that you would search us in such a way that presumptuous sins, taking lightly the things of God, disrupting our own peace, disrupting perhaps peace among ourselves. Whatever it may be, oh Lord, we pray that you would search us. And we pray, Lord, not only that you would bring again your precious pearl of great price home to our own souls, that we might be found resting in you and that the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, would be guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But Lord, we pray that standing upon this great and wonderful reconciliation that is ours, that you would stir us up, that we, Lord, would be peacemakers. Not only for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of our brethren, for the sake of a lost and a dying world around us. 
God, help us. It's so easy, Lord, for us to waste so much precious time upon things that have nothing to do with eternity. But you have called your people to be something. You've called us, Lord, to be peacemakers, peace promoters. And we pray that you would help us to that end. That our lives would be spent, would be poured out as an oblation for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.